Hello, and welcome back to the Department 12 podcast. My name is Dr. Ben Butina, and joining me tonight is James Hughes. How are you, James? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, you have had a hell of an eventful last three weeks or so. Yeah. It sounds like you started your you started grad school and you also started a podcast. Is that right? Yes, we're on uh, episode two. It's going to be launched later today. And uh, yeah, week three of grad school, uh, running a small business at the same time. Uh, I actually had a move to Connecticut from South Carolina. It's been a, a busy stretch here, but good. You don't sound busy enough. Do you think you could develop a drug problem or something else to just fill in the extra five minutes of the day that you have left? Well, you know, I feel like those things just come up naturally with everything else going on. But uh. All right. So I'm going to ask you about your podcast a little bit later, but I want to start with the uh, the topic of tonight's show is starting a doctoral program. So maybe just help us understand how you got to this point. So what was your last uh, academic program? What were you doing? Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a journey. It was a bit more, uh, I would say zigzaggy for me than it is for Mm -hmm. most people. So, uh, I graduated undergrad at Furman university, a a small private liberal arts school in 2015, basically took a year off, didn't like what was out there, uh, went back to school and got a master's in applied psychology at the university of Southern California. And that was actually a distance program. It was a virtual program, which was uh, a very interesting experience. Uh, and then after I graduated from that, me and a, uh, classmate, we actually met at graduation. His name is Schmidt Patel. Uh, we decided to strike out on our own and, uh, start our own firm and just kind of see how far we could take it. And that was pretty exciting. But after about a year of that, uh, we had been working on some academic style projects as well. And I just, I got the itch. I just didn't feel done. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I took a shot. My, my fiance encouraged me to apply for school again. And, and I got into UConn, which was my top choice. And, and here I am. It's just been a, All right. a, a whirlwind, to say the least. Well, congratulations on getting into your top choice. I want to ask you a question about that, uh, that Master of Applied Psychology. It was at, uh, was it, did you say USC San Diego? Uh, USC, just the, you know, the regular Los Angeles USC. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. No Trojans. Uh, So was that designed to be a terminal master's program or was it designed to be a transitional from master's to PhD or could it be either, either or? Uh, So it was designed to be a terminal master's. Uh, As the name suggests, it was really meant for people trying to leverage psychology within their organizations. So obviously IO as a field has really taken on steam in the last few years and it you know, other than clinical, it really has a lot of uh, practical benefits within organizations, within consumer psychology. Those were really the two uh, subtracts within that program. And uh, so most people were practitioners. They, they really focused on, you know, you should be able to do these things. And here's the, the toolkit for being able to improve organizations. And that was fun. It really gave me a new perspective on things like research, on making sure that Anything I'm studying can be, you know, there's the idea of external validity, but not just that it can be used within organizations, but that it can be used at all. Because uh, one of the things I found is there's still, I feel, a pretty large gap between uh, academic practice, even within IO psychology and practitioners. So. Yeah, amen to that. 
So you completed your graduation or you completed that program. You mentioned it at graduation. You two started a firm together. And then after about a year of that, you realized like, hey, I'm crazy and I need to go back and do a doctoral degree. And so you looked at several schools, I assume. What is it that made UConn your top choice? Wow. Uh, you know, I really, it, it's such a large decision. It's such a substantial investment in time and energy. I really sat down. I actually went to PSYOP's website. They have a, uh, a database of all of the graduate programs in psychology and IO psychology. And I went through every single one. I looked at all of the faculty members and what research was being done. I, I really narrowed it down to uh, my research interests were uh, at, at the time it was heavily in like aging uh, workplaces, diversity and things like that. And then I, I reached out to the professors. I, I, I knew well enough to know that you should always reach out first, make sure there are spots open, increase your visibility, because especially at the PhD level, it's so competitive. Uh, anything that I could do to stack the deck was really important. But uh, And also where the school was, like what the school was, because the reality is as much as we claim as grad students that we spend our entire day at the campus, if you don't like the surrounding area, if it's not somewhere you're comfortable living with, it's not worth the two to five year investment. Absolutely. So I thought you, you gave some great advice there. I just wanted to recap. So you reached out. Uh, you went on the website, you found the faculty members profiles, which we can find just about any college or university, and you reached out personally to those instructors, one, to find out, hey, are there spots open, and two, to kind of put in a good word for yourself, because uh, as you mentioned, uh, these programs can be mighty competitive, so anything you can do to give yourself a leg up, and it sounds like it worked, because you started classes about three weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> this is actually my second round at applying to PhD programs. Uh, I had been pretty well trained from my undergraduate on like the process of applying. Mm-hmm. And uh, originally, I actually applied to cognitive aging programs. But one of the things, looking back on the experience that I felt was important was uh, they could tell more than I could that I wasn't interested enough, not passionate enough about the topic. So when I would talk to them, I, not being able to articulate why I found certain things interesting, uh, I think is what really set me back. And I think in this round, I had matured, I had grown as an adult, grown as a professional, but more specifically as a researcher, I had really specific things that I was interested in studying. And I could talk about them not only passionately, but, you know, really say like, I I don't just want to go to your school. I want to work for you. I want to make sure that I'm in your lab doing work with you because you know, the, the people in the program themselves are the biggest selling point. And, uh, I think that's really what put me over the top this time. That sounds like a great strategy. You know, when you think about all the people that probably applied for a spot in that program and, you know, honestly, a lot of people have been conditioned or trained or or whatever to use this keyword of passion. And it's easy to say, well, I'm really passionate about this. You can get a lot of emotional language built in there, but when you follow that up with, and I know about you, I know about your lab, I know about your research, this is what I want to research, and this is why I want to do my research in your lab with you, that's really going to stand out. Um, so congratulations again. You did something I think really smart, which is that you asked the hive mind for some advice, and, and you reached out on LinkedIn and you said, hey, you know, starting this program, what do you wish you had known on day one? 
uh, when you started your PhD program, because there's plenty of IO psych folks out there and you got some advice. So did any piece of advice from that thread, and I think it was on LinkedIn, right? Does any piece of advice from that really stand out to you now after a couple of weeks? Uh, yeah, it's hard to isolate it just to the thread because I've been asking as many people as possible. But some of the things that have stuck with me are things I know, but hearing it again really validates it. One is uh, pacing. So it was really being thrown into the deep end of the pool to start because not only was I having to get used to the program, get used to, you know, just the nuances of the norms and figure out where my office is and all of that kind of stuff. But it was also a a rather large life change, right? Mm -hmm. So getting used to the area and all of those types of things. And it, it can be very exhausting. And I was fortunate that I had a lot of help to get through it, but it, it was tough. And so people reminding me, hey, pace yourself. Hey, it's going to be long hours. It's going to be tough, but make sure that you, you know, very intentionally build in that time for yourself, maintain your hobbies and, and personal relationships. Uh, that was one that I felt was very important. And I also think, and I kind of knew this going in, uh, both from my master's program and, and speaking with a lot of people, uh, you know, an undergrad and really our whole lives up to grad school, it's really important to make like straight A's to, to excel academically, right? That's the, the metric and the priority. And it's very clear that that isn't where the emphasis is now. Even within just these few weeks, it's no, you need to be a good scientist. And, and that's not, we don't measure that by GPA. We measure that by the quality of your research, uh, your ability to act independently, And so the classes themselves all being structured around facilitating our personal research interests, uh, it's been a change to be like, you know, it's more important for me to do this well and to learn how to do it consistently than it is to try and, you know, get an arbitrary A over, you know, A minus. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, that definitely is a shift. It's almost um, it's almost like the grades are an afterthought uh, after a certain point. So I asked uh, my audience uh, the same question that you did. So I said, hey, you know, I'm asking for a guest. What what advice would you give to yourself on day one? Some of it is, is pretty familiar to what you said. You know, uh, Dr. Alice M. Brawley Newland said, you know, keep your hobbies, keep your life, protect that time for, for them and yourself pretty aggressively. And uh, Sidney Riken said, try to treat it like a full-time job, working nine to six instead of nights and weekends as much as humanly possible. And I think they both point to a pretty common trap uh, for new doctoral students, and that is just allowing the program to eat your entire life. It sounds like you have a pretty good handle on on not letting that happen. I wish you the best of luck in not letting it happen. <laughs> um, I know that it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, Allison Gabriel shares, create good habits early and identify the strategies for classes, research, productivity, teaching, etc., that work for you personally. Everyone has idiosyncratic preferences, and that's okay. I think that's pretty good advice. I'm guessing that you probably already have some good self-awareness about what works for you and what doesn't. Yeah, I would say so. I I think one of the biggest shifts for for me personally coming into this program is uh, in terms of the research and the work and even the level of reading, I have a lot of experience and strategies with that, but I am teaching for the first time. And that's been a, a pretty substantial role shift. And it's one of those things where I'm trying to be very excited about learning, you know, really discovering who I am as an educator and trying to get better at that because it's, it's a very unique experience. And, uh, I'm actually 
we had one class last week, but it was uh, kind of very rote. And t- tomorrow will be my first like live fire, actually teaching a class. And uh, it's exciting, but it is it is intimidating because sure. I don't know what I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, best of luck on that. What is the class? Uh, it's the lab for the intro to psychology class. So, all right, cool. A good review of fundamentals. Nice. Uh, Miss Michael Moon, Michael M. Moon, PhD, says find several classmates to form a group and meet in person or virtually on a regular basis. Uh, she shares that that was something that uh, kept her on track and kept her from quitting. Sarah Francis replies, hey, you're there for a reason. You have something to contribute. Imposter syndrome is a lie. Uh, imposter syndrome, uh, you probably have heard of it. It basically just means that, you know, a lot of people that start a, say, a graduate program or, or maybe a management job or something like that, they start to feel like, oh, maybe I can't really do this. Maybe they made a huge mistake by letting me in. <laughs> and, and I'm the only one that feels this way. Everybody else has their shit together and I'm, and I'm a mess. Um, and it's one of those weird things that people don't really talk about. I'm not going to ask you to talk about it either, but it's one of those weird things that hardly anybody talks about because they don't want anyone to know that it happens. Uh, but you know, what's, what's interesting yeah. though, is I would push back on that. I think there's been mm-hmm. a real movement to identifying that. Uh, so all the resources I had been looking at through the application process and even getting here, that was something that came up pretty consistently as no you know, know what this is and recognize it within yourself because it, it was so common and huh. unspoken about that uh, it's really had a spotlight shown on it recently. Nice. Thank you for updating me because that, I guess I had a story in my head about this being sort of unspoken about problem and I just kept repeating it to myself. I'm glad to hear that it's changing because it definitely is something that people need to hear that that, that bias is lying to you. Your brain is lying to you. You definitely belong there. Uh, last bit of advice that my listeners want to share is this may be needed. So, This may or may not apply to you, but it may or may not apply to some listeners as well. Write your papers like you're somewhat someone overconfident and underqualified. That way you can get your ideas on paper. Put your critical hat back on for editing. You're better at this than your lying brain thinks. So I think the idea is that uh, a lot of people get hung up with analysis paralysis and they write sort of in a cramped way on their papers and they end up not being able to, to write, get locked up. And so the suggestion from JCA Charles is uh, pretend to be a more confident person uh, who's uh, under overconfident and underqualified, you know, spill all of that junk out on the paper for the first draft and then put your critical hat back on to do editing. I think that's a a fascinating idea. I can't say I've ever tried it, but maybe I will. And I've actually found as far as a strategy for that is, uh, along the same lines, I actually use dictation to start my papers because there's nothing more intimidating than a blank page. Yeah. And I, I find it's easier to just, you know, talk out loud and then turn and, oh, no, I've been talking for an hour and there's 20 pages and then edit and, and really, you know, kind of explore some of my thoughts while speaking about them out loud. Plus, I think it helps me, uh, you know, train on speaking intelligently about a subject I care about. Very cool. Thank you for that. I've actually started using um, dictation myself, not for papers, but for some interviews I'm conducting uh, where I work as I'm doing a lot of um, employee interviews. And I don't record the interviews, but I record my notes after those interviews. I don't like to sit there and, and write things down while I'm talking to people. I know some people can do that. I get distracted. So I try to reflect back what I heard into this recording. 
And uh, I use an app called otter.ai, otter AI, that does a really, really nice um, text or speech to text transcription. And even though I'm pretty sloppy, um, not with the facts, but sloppy in the way that I talk when I'm talking into that, it's like, uh, um, real long pauses. It ends up with a transcript that is remarkably usable and, and from which the themes just kind of jump out. So I'm, I'm, I think it's very cool that you're able to do that for your first draft as well. All right. So I want to close the show by asking you about your podcast. So I listened to the first episode, but I would like you to just share with the audience, what is it and what's it about? Yes. So the podcast is named The Abnormal Way uh, as an homage to AGL and Associates, which was originally called Abnormal Group. Uh, It is hosted by myself and my business partner, Shamit Patel. And we talk about basically the future of work. So it's kind of high level discussion. They tend to be in the 30 minute range. So it's perfect for a commute. And uh, what we are really interested in specifically is how uh, we, we believe that work in the future work right now is being disrupted by the ability to work virtually work remotely. Mm. Our company is entirely remote uh, and more and more organizations are moving that way. And we're really trying to, Think out loud about how that disruption is not going to impact all of these industries, but, you know, society as a whole. So uh, episode one is on iTunes and Spotify. It's also on our website, www.ag, excuse me, www.abnormalgrp.com. Episode two is being uploaded tonight, so it'll be probably available by the time you guys hear this. So. We're excited. It's just a a fun growth experiment for us. Very nice. So I will link to your website and your show and your LinkedIn profile in the show notes for anyone that wants to get in contact with you. And definitely for those who want to listen to the show. And I want to propose something to you right now. And that is that I repeat this show with you in about a year. The reason I'd like to do this again is because, you know, you asked for advice like, hey, you know, what would you wish you knew on day one? And you got a lot of uh, people like me that probably don't remember day one all that well. And I would like you to come back if you're open to it in about a year and say, okay, I'm fresh off of this first year. This is the advice that I would share with me on day one if I could. You open to that? Oh, yeah. That sounds awesome. Very cool. Hey, thank you so much for being on the show, James. Thank you.